a Bible this morning. Raise it up. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's on your tablet. How many of you have a Bible? Do you cherish and treasure this Word of God like you saw in the faces of those rural Chinese followers of Jesus? Are there tears of joy because you have been gifted, you have been given the opportunity to have the Word of God? Or do you just sort of take it for granted? Yep, got one. Got a lot of them, in fact. 88% of American households have a Bible that they own. In fact, the average number of Bibles in an American household is 47 we got a few Bibles. In fact, the Word of God has become so commonplace that um, we just sort of forget about it many times. But there's places around the world where there is a genuine hunger to be able to receive a book that articulates what God's thoughts are. And God's thoughts are good news. Good news. Now, we've been in a series in one of the books of the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, called the Book of Amos. It's in the Old Testament. And the Book of Amos has not been an easy journey for us. Because you really don't look at the Book of Amos that much as good news. In fact, it seems to be like a lot of bad news. Heavy news. God's judgment is articulated upon a group of people, the Israelites in the book of Amos. It's bad news for them. But, you know, there's an interesting thing about the Scriptures. There's bad news, but there's also good news. And the interesting thing about it being both bad news and good news is that it's not like the world a lot of times. Because the good news far outweighs the bad news. Now, some of you are familiar with the good news, bad news kinds of jokes. Sort of a sense of humor. A children's book says, good news, bad news. Good news, it's a beautiful day to the child. Hooray. Bad news, it's a school day. Boo. Good news, you've got the day off. Hooray. Bad news, to go to the dentist. Boo. A doctor called a person after they had an appointment and they said, hey, I've got good news for you. You have 24 hours to live. What? Well, my goodness, if that's good news, what can be the bad news? I've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. (laughs) There were two old guys wondering if there's baseball in heaven. And so they promised each other, by the way, baseball... um, You just need to know this going into this Dodger Cubs series that we're in. Some of you watched it last night. I have cheered for the Cubs since I was born. And so let us win this series, okay? I will cheer for the Dodgers some other year. But we're cheering for the Cubs. Now, I know many of you cheering for the Dodgers. Joe Yarbrough is back there. We're having a battle in our offices during the week. This week, I'm sure. Anyway, two guys were wondering if there's baseball in heaven, so they promised each other that the first one who died would somehow let the other one know. Uh, blow and behold, a week later, one of them dies. And uh, a week after that, his friend recognizes his voice coming from the clouds. 
Joe, I've got some good news and some bad news. The disembodied voice reports. The good news is that there is baseball. There is a baseball team in heaven. The bad news is you're up to pitch next Friday. The good news, bad news, humor comes with pastors as well. Good news, uh, you baptized ten people in the ocean. Bad news, you lost two of them in the rip current. Good news, the Mom's Day Out group voted to send you a get well card. The vote passed by 31 to 30. Good news, the elders accepted your job description the way you wrote it. Bad news is they were so inspired that they formed a search committee to find somebody who could fulfill it. Good news is you found a worship leader who appreciates things the same way that you do. The bad news is that the worship team all quit. The good news is church attendance rose dramatically in the last three weeks. The bad news is, Pastor, you were on vacation. So, And just one final one for you congregational people out there this morning. The good news is there will be no offering received this morning. The bad news is uh, you'll have to find a ride home. All cars have been impounded to help the facility fund. Thank you. Now, the good news, bad news kinds of jokes, what sort of makes them humorous is uh, that the bad news so overwhelms the good news that it's laughable. The bad news is the mountain, and the good news is the molehill. In Scripture, however, it's the other way around. The bad news is bad news. God is a just God, and he cannot allow sin to permeate his world forever, definitely in his heavens. And God is a just God. God is a holy God. God is an all-loving God, but sometimes love is tough. So the justice of God is prominently taught in Scripture. But a lot of times we think maybe the justice of God is bad news. The reality, though, is the justice of God is also good news. And the good news of Scripture far outweighs the bad news. And so when a prophet like Amos shows up, having left his rural farm area, gone to the north to speak to the Israelite people in the book of Amos, he is giving them bad news. But then he wants to top it off with the good news is God is a gracious God. You can repent. You can turn to him. You can change your ways. And God's blessings will flow upon you. That's the good news. But a lot of times, all we hear in our individual lives, especially if we're in a place where we're not living right with God, is bad news. Bad news. So this book, which seems to be a heavy, really, it is a heavy, if you don't want to turn towards God. But if you want to turn towards God with your life, then the book of Amos is good news. The people in that rural Chinatown, and wasn't that cool how they had the band leading in the van with the Bibles. 150 U.S. dollars per year they live on. And you thought you were trying to make ends meet in your household this week. China, as we well know, came underneath the communist control. Missionaries kicked out. The fear was that the gospel of Christians would dwindle and disappear. But in the communist regime behind the bamboo curtain, the gospel, the good news, thrived. And it thrives through many places in China because you can't kill the good news. People are hungry 
to know the Word of God. And here came those Bibles. And those Bibles brought joy and tears to their eyes. Do not ever neglect the Word of God in your life. And don't ever become commonplace with the truth of the good news that it provides. But as we look here this last day in the book of Amos, we're looking at a people who had discarded the Word of God. People who had become commonplace, who got distracted by an awful lot of other cool, fun things in modern day. And the Word of God came to them through the prophet Amos in a very um, sobering, somber, heavy kind of measure. And it leads off this way. And what we want to look at today as we begin to look really down at the last two chapters. In Amos chapter 12, I mean chapter, um, sorry, chapter 8. Get in here. It says this. Then the sovereign Lord showed me, showed who? Amos. Showed me another vision. And in it, I saw a basket filled with ripe fruit. Now, a lot of times that's how words come, through visions, imagery. Maybe you're one of those individuals who receive from the Lord a lot, just the picture of something comes. What do you see, Amos, he asked. I replied, a basket full of bright fruit. Now, what's he doing here? He's given a depiction of the nation. And he's saying, I see this basket full of ripe fruit. You name it, apples, grapes, other kinds of things, strawberries. But he calls it ripe fruit. And so, I don't know about you, but are you familiar with green fruit and ripe fruit? And maybe you're familiar with rotting fruit. Because, see, the... The picture that Amos got was a picture of a hot summer sun coming to this ripe fruit. And the ripe fruit over a period of time underneath the hot sun begins to melt and fade. This here is a depiction of that bowl of fruit over a time lapse of 74 days. And that which was nice and pretty and beautiful and grand becomes something that's quite disgusting. Like when you thought you had a ripe banana, but you picked it up and it was black inside. And so God gives this vision to Amos about a ripe bowl of fruit. And in the ripe bowl of fruit, all kinds of nasty things begin to be revealed because that was the interior life of the Israelite people. A ripe bowl of fruit and a rotten bowl of fruit. That picture was given by God to the Israelites Because they were not taking care 
of the Word of God by living that Word of God out in their life. They'd become negligent. They'd become commonplace. And that which had been good news to them and actually ushered them into some really golden years, that Word of God had now come to bring to them a voice of condemnation. So also, the Word of God in our own life can make such a turn. He said this, Like this fruit, Israel is ripe for punishment. I will not delay their punishment again. Amos spoke that words, and sure enough, 30, 35 years later, that punishment came about. The Assyrians, which were nasty people, came and took over the northern ten tribes and exiled them. Oh, some of the northern ten tribes went on down into Judah to the other two tribes. But the ten lost tribes of Israel would never return again. Not only was the northern part exiled, but the southern part was exiled as well. The northern part in 722 B.C., the southern part in 586 B.C. Now, that's ancient, ancient history. And so we sit here and we go, why in the world really does that matter here on a Sunday morning in 2016? I don't know about you in this political season and in the culture in which we live. But there's part of me, I don't want to be a doomsday person, but there's part of me that says, Lord, is is there such is there such a thing as your punishment that would come upon us as a people and a nation because we have not stewarded well the good news that brought us in many ways to the freedoms that we have? I don't know. But I do know this. God's in control of the world. And God does have his ways. He does have his ways about taking things that we think are just circumstantial and using them to be his voice. The good news, bad news. The good news, bad news is this. God's justice will prevail for better, for worse. God's justice will prevail. Now, the good news is God's justice will prevail. All things that are wrong will be made right when Christ is placed in sight. But the bad news is God's justice will prevail. All things that are wrong will be made right when Christ is brought into sight. And so the justice of God is the good news, the bad news kind of serenario working its way out in a people, in a nation, not in ancient history only, but in our nation. And so part of you should be encouraged by that. God is not blind. He's not indifferent. He cannot allow injustice, whether in our land or in other countries around the world, to continue to prevail forever. Now, he's gracious and he's kind and he desires that all would turn towards him and he desires that you would turn towards him. And that's why he's being patient and kind in your life as well as in mine. But we live in a world where we wonder, will justice prevail? Will all wrongs be made right? Well, yes, they will in his time. And he is observing what's happening and what's going on. And though we may have been times where there's beauty of ripeness and joy, there is rottenness and decay that can come about. 
And God sees this. And he will do what's necessary to bring about transformation. And sometimes what's necessary is punishment. Punishment. But we really don't like to hear about that. But Amos brought it to the people that they would be punished. And soon enough, things did happen. And things made a turn. And the people were well aware that God's work was at hand. It says this in verse 3, In that day the singing in the temple will turn to wailing. Dead bodies will be scattered everywhere. They will be carried out of the city in silence. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. What would God, the Sovereign Lord, speak verbally today to our nation, to us as a people? As I mentioned, that prophecy was fulfilled. It doesn't come right away sometimes. Sometimes it comes much later and it did for them. But it was evident and it was true never to return again. Amos 8, verse 6, begins to give specific reasons why God had to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel. It says this, Listen to this, you who robbed the poor and trampled down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. Several things were going on that were happening here in this mix. They were robbing and taking away from the poor. They were trampling on the needs, disregarding the vulnerable people, like we mentioned last week, which was, you know, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, just totally stepping all over them, trampling down the needy. And they were cheating the helpless with dishonest scales and other kinds of means. They were mixing in uh, all kinds of dirt and chaff with grain and selling it to them in a bushel basket that was actually smaller than what a bushel was to be. And they couldn't wait to get out of church so they could get back to work on Monday morning to keep doing more of it. Because what was really before them as their God was materialism, acquisition, supposed success in world's eyes and power. Has the world changed any? No. Those things are still being pursued, sought after. In fact, maybe they're enticements that you have entanglements with in your own life. And God would come to you and say, hey, be careful. Be careful because my judgment can come upon that injustice, whether social injustice, personal injustice, whatever that begins to pervade an individual heart, a people, a household, a land, a nation. You enslave poor people for a pair of sandals. You owe me money. You owe me money. I'm going to sell you into slavery for a mere pair of sandals. How pathetic. So Amos, once again, in this particular vision of the ripe fruit, showing how rotten it was within inside the hearts of the people that were proclaiming to be God followers, it's revealed. And he lays out these reasons. Now the Lord has sworn this oath by his own name, the pride of Israel. I will never forget the wicked things 
you have done. Reasons for God's judgment? Lack of concern for the needy. Oppression of the poor. Love for money and wealth. Cheating in business for material gain. Now, there was also corruption in other ways. There was idolatry that was going on. We talked a few weeks ago when we started out that they were worshiping the the golden calves and places that weren't supposed to be uh, used for worship. Plus, you're not supposed to worship a golden calf. There was idolatry going on. And with that, because of the pagan practices, there was also sexual immorality going on. But here in chapter 8, as we're moving towards the close of this book, the things that are highlighted aren't adultery and sexual immorality. Though you see those rampant not only then, but in our world today. We don't have idols of golden calves, but we have other kinds of idols that we set up as, as gods we're always pursuing. But the things that are called out are these. Concern for the needy, oppression of the poor, love for money and wealth, and cheating in business for material gain. Now, if you were here last week, we took this whole subject matter straight on. Concerning poor, needy, orphan, widows, immigrants, refugees. And I shared with you out of my own heart some of my challenge of being able to turn my heart towards being endeared towards individuals such as that or spending my time or giving my resources. In our life group this week, we talked a little bit about it. We had all the excuses we laid out last week, and many of those are excuses several of us can own. But last week's talk wasn't just for a one Sunday and pass. Let's move on. What's the next thing? We need to sit here and wrestle with it week in and week out as a church and as individuals. What is God's calling in our life to be able to change the trajectory of us as individuals and us as a nation to be able to deal with that? And sometimes the best thing you can do is not necessarily give handouts. I understand that. But you need to be able to help somebody find their place of work, find their purpose in life. Find redemption through Christ to be able to have self-worth, to move forward, to do things. But are we looking at the vulnerable people, the people on the low end of the totem pole? Or do we just like to minister to the niche of people that are like us? They're like us. Consequences? There's consequences. And these consequences are now going to be laid out by Amos in chapter 8. The first is the physical environment will suffer. Verse 8, the earth will tremble for your deeds and everyone will mourn. The ground will rise up like the Nile at flood time. It will heave up, then sink again. In that day, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. Now, there's questions as to what this reference is. And some of that, the whole the moon, uh, sun go down and noon and darken is almost ap- uh, ap- uh, apocalyptic kind of uh, forewarnings of the end of the earth and, and that can be referenced in other teachings of scripture and maybe that's true but the reality was there was a physical environment that suffered as a result of what people did in that day Israel was known as the promised land when it was first scouted out when the exodus happened, uh, they sent people in, right? Remember Caleb and Joshua? And they were in, and, and there was a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know if you've been to Israel or Middle East, but uh, there is a, a contrast of 
topography, if you will, that there's, there's a beauty about the land, but yet the land uh, doesn't necessarily produce and flow with milk and honey because of water issues and other things. What happened was after the exile, because of unconcerned people, because of the abuses of the land, because of, of many, many armies ransacking the land, the land itself physically became barren in many ways. But the promised land will return to that of producing milk and honey and restoration. Scripture teaches as we move towards the end times. Also, joyous occasions will end. Amos spoke. I will turn your celebrations into times of mourning and your singing into weeping. You will wear funeral clothes and shave your heads to show your sorrow as if your only son had died. How very bitter that day will be. Now, catch this. This is in contrast to what they were enjoying that day. Remember, they were lounging around in their big uh, their couches. They were watching their big screen TVs. They were having all kinds of food parties in and out. They were in a state of luxury and enjoying life. Celebrations galore. Prosperous Israel. But the word came that your joyous occasions will end. You can be sure of this, whether in a um, public kind of setting, maybe, or your own personal life. If there is sin that starts to happen, joy will start to disappear. Have you found that true in your life? If you are in a prominent state of sin, it may not be the big uglies. It may just be apathy, indifference, ignoring God. You move in the direction of sin, you are moving away from joy in your heart. It doesn't mean that, you know, life, everything starts to happen really well and you get the pay raise and you have all the relationships you want and, and things are just, you know, purring along nice. It doesn't necessarily mean that because joy and happiness are two different things. Joy is a deep-seated peace that... Things are right, that God is good, that you're where you need to be with Him. Even though circumstantially things are not maybe going the best around you. So don't always equate joy and happiness. But here it's stating that sin will lead you to a joyless state of existence. So if you are weak in your joy today, is it because of waywardness? Is it because of maybe you're not spending close proximity to God and his truth and his good news that comes from his word? And why do I say that? It's because the last thing that was the result, the consequence of their disobedience is God's word will disappear. I find this the striking thing about the last part of Amos. And I think it's a good word for us today. In Amos 8, verse 11, it says, The time is surely coming, says the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. We search all over the world today for things. We search through travel. We search through education. We search through careers. 
We search through relationships. We search through recreation for the longing, the fulfillment of our heart. But could it be that a lot of the searching that happens today is because people are searching for truth. They're searching for the joy. They're searching for the good news that can only be found in God's word. God's word is not just the written word. It's the voice of God, his word directly into our lives. And is there this searching and wrestling going on because there is a death of God's word in our land? You see, when I saw that video that we led off with, the thing that caught me about those people receiving the 700 Bibles in the rural land of China that had never had a Bible their whole life, many of them, the thing that caught me was the sense of joy, of hunger, of This is truth. This is something we're looking and longing for. Downtrodden, difficult days maybe they might have been. But the truth of the Word of God and receiving that personal relationship that they could have through Christ was good news. But oh, the searchings aren't just in rural lands such as China. They're in lands such as ours. Searching. But where's the Word of God? Can I exhort you on something? Most of you in here are very well aware and some even trained in what the Word of God is. Do not neglect being the spokesman for God today in our world. Our world needs the voice of God. Oh, it might be a bad word to them. Bad news, right? Justice of God. Oh, it's going to prevail. But no, bring about the good news. The justice of God will prevail. And it can prevail by changing and turning your life of desperation into a life of hope and joy and meaning and purpose and destiny. You and I, we treasure the word of God. May we steward it well in our days because there is a hunger concerning God's word. You know, you can go to all kinds of different statistics and start looking it up. There's Bible lovers and there's Bible skeptics. In our land, surveys have been done that 19% of people are engaged in God's Word in some way or another. There's also 19% on the other side of things that are hardcore skeptical about the Word of God. Even though, as I mentioned to you, that 88% of households own a Bible and every household on average has 4.7 Bibles. 37% of Americans read it once a week or more, which is interesting to me. But there's a gradual decline from five years ago. People, 86% of people said that the Bible was sacred. Today, it's dropping into the mid-70%. It's no longer sacred. It's just a literature book. A book maybe like some people might think of full of myths and other things. 56% of Americans are pro-Bible. They believe the Bible is the actual or inspired word of God with no errors. But that, too, is a statistic that's dwindling. Bible readers say their number one frustration is that they do not have enough time to read God's word. In one year alone, it rose by 7%. These are statistics from Barna. Now, I don't think there's any less time in a 24-hour day today than there was a year ago. 
What do you think? Are we being shortchanged? No. Our lives are being filled with a lot of good things. But could those good things be distracting us from the best things? We need to make sure we do not neglect the Word of God because the Word of God can disappear in our very lives. There can be a famine in our land even though the Bible's sitting around in our homes or on our phone. But we are so preoccupied. I know it's true in my life. It can easily happen that we neglect the Word of God. This statistic is probably the more concerning of mine. It says this, While 50% of all adults believe the Bible has too little influence in our society, only 30% of millennials believe this. Millennials are those who are age 18 to 29. Did you catch that statistic? 50% of adults would say that the Bible, it does. Our land needs to hear the Word of God. There needs to be a hunger for the Word of God. We need to have the Word of God speak to us truth-wise. 50% of adults say that there's too little of biblical influence in our culture today. But when you go down to the 18 and 29 years old, it drops by 20%. Guess which ones of us keep getting older? All of us do, I know that. But... As the generations grow older, what's the trajectory in this country? There'll be fewer and fewer people that think the Bible should have an influence in our world. Godlessness comes from wordlessness. A hunger, a famine in the land. And you and I, if we have access and we know knowledge and we have even been trained, may we steward well biblical knowledge. When you're trying to give an answer to somebody who has an issue in their life, it's like, oh, well, uh, let me think. What's my advice? Off the top of my head, I think you should ditch them. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I think you should just go for it because you only get to go around once in life. Off the top of my head, I think that um, well, it's okay. Some kids are just bad. They just don't turn out well. Well, you're going to wait a second. What's the Word of God teach? Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be applied to you. Do you have the Word of God hidden in your heart so when you give counsel and you interact with people, you're not just spewing your own thoughts from the recent week's activities or pop culture? Are you speaking the Word of God to them? And even if you need to do a timeout, wait a second, could we just take a few moments? I don't know where that is. I will maybe Google it or I'll look in the back of my pen. Let's look at the Word of God. Let's get our attention to the Word of God and let the Word of God speak into our life, speak into our culture. Let the voice of the Sovereign Lord, as surely as He spoke in Amos' day, speak in our day. Amen? But you cannot do that unless you spend time in the Word. And I exhorted my rooted group. We meet up back by the circle by the cross on Wednesday nights because we had a good week on, on God's voice speaking to us the other day. And I know you ladies in your study have gone through God's voice speaking to some. You cannot let the Word of God be used to speak into other people's lives unless you spend time in the Word and memorize the Word. It takes a discipline. 
the word of thy hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I hide the word in my heart so that I can give the counsel that God wants me to give. Friends, I've been a pastor for 35 years. And I scratch my head with issues sometimes when I sit down to share. Someone with you, I'm thinking, who am I to say anything, you know? I'm just a farm kid from the Midwest. Amos said, I'm just the farm kid from southern Judea area, Judah area. But what you turn to is you turn to the Word of God. And the best thing you can do for your friend you're trying to counsel is not just give them a pop answer for the day or a couple, three simple steps. You force them back into the Word of God so the Word of God becomes living, breathing, speaking into their life. But friends... It's not just true of our world. It's true of the evangelical church. There is a famine in our churches of hearing the word of the Lord. Not good. This political season, there's a lot to be concerned about. And there's a lot of desire for justice. Maybe the candidates are fairly weak, but there is still truth to be had. But the truth is not a political truth that needs to be spoken. It's a biblical truth. And for all the angst and the passion I see, and don't get me wrong, I'm not calling anybody out here. For all the angst and the passion I see with Facebook posts concerning politics, I'm like, where's the passion for the Word of God to be spoken? To be presented. Truth upheld. Now I know what's behind a lot of the bantering is because we believe it's foundational for us to to have a country that has God in it. I appreciate that. But sometimes I wonder, we get more fired up about political elections than we get fired up about being stewards of the sovereign God's word for today. But we have to change our ways and our time schedules to become people of the Word of God. Beautiful girls and strong young men in verse 13 will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's Word. And those who swear by the shameful idols of Samaria and those oaths take oaths of the name of the God of Dan and make their vows in the name of the God of Beersheba. That's all the waywardness, all the adultery, all the deflections. They will all fall down, never to rise again. A circumstance concerning lawlessness and injustice, God's word will disappear. God's word will disappear. What do we do? Well, Acts 17, verse 31 says this, He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right, and He has already appointed the judge, confirming Him before anyone, everyone by raising Him from the dead. That translation out of the message says this, There is coming a day God's justice will prevail. It will roll down. All wrongs will be made right when Christ is placed into sight. The judge of the world is the one whom God raised from the dead. Romans 8, 1, 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is the good news. This is the good news. 
Friends, there are unreached people around the world who have never, ever, not only heard that news, but heard the name of Jesus Christ. And we are responsible to steward that message. Here at home, in our home, in our community, in our relationships, our natural networks that we have every week, in our nation, but also in countries that do not have the opportunity to know the good news? Are we being diligent about the efforts to proclaim? There is a day of judgment coming, but the one who is the judge is the one who gave his life. And if you receive him and turn to him, you too will have no condemnation, but you will be brought into a life-giving season with the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Justice, mercy, and grace... Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting above and beyond anything you could have ever dreamed you would be given. It's a simple gospel message. Steward it well. People need to hear the word of God. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. We cannot end Amos without letting you know. If you're in a place where you know you're condemned by your sin and your waywardness and maybe it's big stuff, maybe it's little stuff in your mind, you too can receive the life of the one who can bring no condemnation. But you must receive him in your heart You must believe in him. All wrongs can be made right when Christ comes in to sight. And then as we live for him, the words of Micah we bring back. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you in Micah 6.8? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Joe, will you come as we close... Um, with a song this morning. I want to pray for us.